On today's episode of Sports and the World, we talk about the NBA Finals, Kevin Durant, the WNBA, the LFL, the News of the World, your top five list, and of course, your stat of the day. That's today on Sports and the World. Sports in the world are part of your day. I'm Ladarius Brown. First off, a few congratulations are in order. Rest of the St. Louis Blues for winning the Stanley Cup, first championship in 52 years, and also to the Toronto Raptors for winning their first NBA championship, the first for that city since the great Joe Carter hit that home run. Great moment for the city. Great moment for Raptors basketball. All of the greats from T-Mac, Vince Carter, and a lot of other greats playing. You know, great moment for them. But I want to lead in and talk about something else that in the news that really got me going, got me fired up in different capacities. And that's the Kevin Durant injury and the impact. Well, as we all know, Kevin Durant, he underwent surgery Wednesday to repair his torn Achilles. And there are reports out there that he may miss the entire season next season. Which which is unfortunate because he's the best player on the planet. I stand by it and I believe in it. And it was just hard to watch. And, you know, he put up, you know, he played 12 minutes. He put up, you know, he put up with 14 points. But the point is, is that he played great, and you know it was unfortunate to see him go down, just like it was unfortunate to see Clay Thompson go down, which ended up being the final game of the series. But shifting back to Kevin Durant, I just want to talk about the impact in different ways because he is a free agent. He's a free agent, so the question becomes: What is his impact going to be on the free agent market? Well, according to Bleacher Report, you know, there's still some execs that aren't going to back off and are still willing to prepare to give him the max money that they have to lure Kevin Durant away from Golden State. Well, obviously, you know, he has a player option, which at this point, I think if you ask me today, I'm not a Nostradamus, but I assume he would take that option. And Golden State can offer him the most money at five years, $221 million. But however, other teams can offer him four years, $164 million. Teams like the Clippers, the Knicks, or the Nets, who I think are the top three front runners to get his services. I don't think the Lakers have a chance to get him for, for a number of reasons. But the situation kind of reminded me of another free agent over 20 years ago. That, you know, devastating injury, wasn't sure if he was able going to to play at the level or even just play in general. And that reminded me of Grant Hill. So with Grant Hill, he had a left ankle injury 20 years ago. This is with the Detroit Pistons. Knocked out of a playoff game, not sure he's gonna be a piston again, no less a player. 
in this league again. But however, the Pistons still gave him the max, reportedly, and there were three other suitors. You had the Knicks, the Suns, and the Magic. And the Suns ultimately won out by giving him a seven-year, $93 million contract, which was a huge deal at the time. Huge deal. Obviously now it's peanuts, but at that time, it was major, major money. So you're asking, well, what did the Magic get out of that contract? Well, the Magic got 47 games in his first four seasons, and he missed the entire 0304 season. So that's what they got. And I'm not going to sit here and say that with Kevin Durant, I'm not going to sit here and speculate and say that, oh, that's what, you know, Kevin Durant's going to do for Golden State or anywhere else he goes to. He's going to miss games. And we don't know. If, you know, it's reportedly that he'll be out next season. We don't know. But what I do know with Grant Hill, Grant Hill was never the same player. He was never the same dude. And that dude was legit talking like this guy could be, you know, he could compete with Jordan be the best player in the league. Like, you go ask T-Mac. You go ask Duncan. You go ask guys who played in the league with Grant Hill, they'll tell you. Like, oh, that guy was, that guy was pretty good and he was right there with Jordan. Until he got hurt. And Kevin Durant, you know, depending what side of the spectrum on, is still competing with LeBron James to be the best player in the world. I have Durant over LeBron. If you remember from my previous top five list. But, you know, to be the best at your sport, to be at the top at your sport, and to be hurt, we don't know what we're going to get from Kevin Durant. But yet, NBA execs are still willing to throw millions at him, which is fine. But if you had to ask me, the first team that should line up to sign him are the Golden State Warriors. Look, he risked his career. And that calf injury was much more severe than what we were told, and more importantly than apparently maybe you know, Kevin Durant or the medical staff knew. And it leads me into that. It's like, well, who do we blame for him going out there early? Do we blame Kevin Durant? Or do we blame the medical staff? And simply put, and I think it's a super easy answer, is that I don't blame either. You obviously, you always say they're just blaming the equal situation. Well, here's where I would, if anything, spread the blame here. I would blame Warriors management. And here's why. I think that that press conference was very disingenuous by Warriors GM Bob Meyer when Kevin Durant got hurt. I think it was very disingenuous simply from the perspective of it came off like, yeah, there were tears, and I think it was half remorse and half guilt. It was half tears, half guilt, simply because he kind of indirectly pushed him out there, and I reached that conclusion. I was reading around, and I said, well, maybe, and I said, well, you know, that's a very good point, because in the situation, I couldn't blame the medical staff. They're professionals, and they gave him the options, and nor could I also blame Kevin Durant for being a competitor. I'm not going to blame those dudes one way or the other. So here we are in a situation where someone's got to lay blame. I look at Warriors management and maybe being pushed back when he wasn't ready. 
And we can argue back and forth in that, you know, Kevin Durant wouldn't have played, they would have lost. And, you know, seeing how they played in game five when he left after, you know, after that, you know, I could have argued that, you know, the way Klay Thompson was playing before he got hurt, I could argue that Golden State had a shot. And obviously they fell short, but I said they had a shot. And I said, I'd take a healthy KD next season than a 56% Kevin Durant now. It's easy for me to say that now because I knew he was going to play in this series. He wasn't going to be 100%. But I figured you save him for a game like game six, game seven. Because I do believe Golden State can carry a series five. They've never been swept before. So, you know, I think they can at least carry a series five games, six games, top. So... I'm not going to sit here and blame the medical staff to the extent of the injuries. I'm not going to do that. Kevin Durant's a competitor. And, you know, in our top five list today, we're going to talk about dudes who did the same thing and came out on the other on the other side. We don't talk about them as, you know, dudes, ah, man, he shouldn't have went out there. We didn't second guess it because they were successful or, more importantly, they weren't pushed and that's important and I think Kevin Durant was indirectly pushed by management I look at Bob Meyer hell I I look at ownership management pushed him he wasn't ready the medical staff did their job by evaluating Kevin Durant they knew like well Kevin you could play but all Kevin Durant heard was that I you know he could play that's all he heard everything else was just like white noise he heard he could play, so sure enough, he played. And I'm not going to sit here and fault a man who wants to play. He wanted to play. But Warriors management pushed him to that. Because everything, there's no telling if Warriors management told the Warriors medical staff, hey, listen, tell Kevin that, hey, he can play. But, you know, warn him, but tell him he can play. I don't put that past people. I blame management. I don't blame Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was going to play, but I don't think he wanted to play that particular game. I think a a slightly healthier Kevin Durant in game six. In a game like what we saw tonight, yesterday, whenever and however you're listening, that would have been a game for Kevin Durant to play in and to give his all because only two games left. But management said, well, we need him now because they sense desperation. That let me know two things. A, they don't trust, they didn't trust Steph Curry, nor Clay Thompson. And two, boy, did I also mention they didn't trust Steph and Clay. So that leads me to further believe that he was indirectly pushed. And people can sit there and argue semantics. He was pushed. He was pushed to be the guy to play. Period. He was pushed. And no one's going to sit there and make me think otherwise. He was indirectly pushed. Kevin Durant was not going to play, but he was indirectly asked to play. He was going to play. Because he wanted to be a team player, and I get all of that. You're going to say, well, Kevin Durant's a grown man. Sure. But when you have every, when you have management indirectly telling you, because I, I, I don't believe the report. The other players on that team thought, oh, 
you know, he not him not showing up was weak and all. No, that, that to me that's BS. It's hyperbole. What I do believe is that management pushed him. That press conference I saw was smoking mirrors and crocodile tears. That's my opinion, and I and I stand by that, and and I'm willing to debate and argue people with that. But shifting gears now, I do want to talk about something else, you know, basketball related that's been troubling me, and that's the state of the WNBA. It's a sport that I like. My favorite team is the Seattle Storm, full discretion. You know, we're starting out pretty good. You know, we don't have Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd's playing great. But, you know, not having Brianna Stewart or Sue Bird, it affects us. Not having your star players just like for Golden State. But what I want to talk about was the travel conditions. And it was brought up by Sparks head coach, Derek Fisher. And he posted something on his Instagram. And I want to thank Yahoo Sports and Ben Widerib for for bringing this up and making this a very important issue. And one of the things is that WNBA players, they travel by coach. NBA players use private jets. And that part I get, we've known that. But here's the thing that gets me. There are a number of teams in the WNBA that do have jets. Okay? But are not allowed to be used for players. You tell me what CBA agreement is that? And there's a reason why they opted out of the CBA. There's a reason. And you want to go, you want to go worse. Sure, they take red eye cross country flights. Let me repeat that again: red eye cross country flights. They're being treated like business people traveling from New York to London. They're getting treated like they're not being treated like players. They're being treated like business people who have to catch red-eye cross-country flights to other parts of the world. But they can't. But they have to take those same flights to travel from New York to L.A., L.A. to New York, Chicago to Atlanta. That's how they're being treated. And if you want to delve deeper, the Las Vegas Aces coach you know, coach can be led by star player Liz Cambridge. They had to forfeit a game due to canceled flights. Flights were canceled because for whatever reason they couldn't play so they so they lost. So delve deeper, they take they take in approximately twenty percent of league revenue, the NBA half, and fifty percent. The max sale is $117,500. That's seven times less than what the league minimum is. And you want to pile on. They have to play cross-country. They have to play overseas. That's why Brianna Stewart is out for the year. Not because she got hurt in the WNBA. She got hurt playing overseas. Because $117,500. And for the schedule that they play. They only they play the less game. But... You're asking them to take red-eye cross-country flights, and you're asking them to travel coach. They're professional athletes with their bodies. And you're asking them, you know, 
to do a lot and pretty much they got to fly cross country red eye and play overseas just to make money that's why you know as a as a storm fan i'm concerned and more importantly as a as a basketball fan i'm concerned when i see you know players like lebron james you know former player kobe bryant of course when i see you know tweets and Instagram posts about, you know, and these women can play in ball, but they're not being treated like they're NBA caliber star. They're not being treated the same. And that, to me, is a very severe problem. And it brings up a greater issue at another day about, my goodness, about the women's national, women's soccer team, the U.S. women's national soccer team, excuse me, and the clear disparity there between the U.S. men's national team. And that's something for another day, hopefully another topic I'd like to get to at some juncture. But what I want to get to is when I say that we'll be right back. Talk about another league gaining grounds already popular over the world. And that's the LFL, the Legends Football League. That's next on sports and the world. into sports and the world and uh, I want to throw in social media once again at sports the world for Instagram and for Twitter as well think about Facebook page and all that nature once again thank you for listening to us listening to us whether on Google podcast listen to us on Spotify or right here on anchor it's truly appreciated. And I want to talk about another sport that uh, I really love to talk about. I've been trying to get it on the show, you know, six episodes in, I guess. You know, most time better than the present. And that's the LFL. It's the formerly the Lingerie Football League, now the Legends Football League. And that's a very important and distinct change. Because now they're in their 10th anniversary season. You know, they're headquarters in Las Vegas. They're amongst the fastest growing sports franchises. They're global with leagues in the USA, Canada, and Australia. And as of 2015, in Europe, they broadcast over 180 territories in the world. And they're on pace to surpass the NFL. This is very important. And total number of international TV households. That to me is very important because the NFL is trying to get international playing games in London. But the LFL has conquered in there. And I think they will surpass the NFL in that regard. And they're already surpassed every other single female sports franchise in global TV viewership. That to me is a it's a testament to you know Mitch Mortaza who doesn't Heather Thiessen a lot of great people who work at LFL over the past decade so kudos to them I've been a huge fan for 10 years and how I got involved in you know a friend of mine I went to I've known her since middle school Lauren Zickler she was one heck of an athlete and I always tell people that who's the one of the best athletes I ever seen. It was Lauren Ziegler. She played volleyball. She played softball. 
had intramural football, she would have probably played that too. She was tough, she was gritty, and she's just one of the many great players. She's my personal favorite player, knowing her for 20, 20 years. And there's other great players in the league, like, you know, like ones that were Mariah Lopez, KK Medina, Dakota Hughes, Ashley Salerno, and a couple other ones that I really, really am high on. Lauren Crouch. You know, I, I need a lot of quarterbacks there. KK Matheny, Ashley Salerno, Lauren Crouch. I love the quarterback position, but when I look at the LFL, I, I see a lot of comparisons, and I could do a whole pure segment on that alone. And I may do that next episode, two episodes down the road. You know, goals for next episode. But what I like about the LFL is that it's an alternative and a lot of great athletes and I watch the games and you could also watch the games on their YouTube channel and it's the LFL excuse me and you can catch them on the LFLUS.com online at my LFL on Twitter Legends Football League on Facebook my LFL on Instagram you can catch them the Legends Football League also on YouTube, and they show the games, it's fantastic, every, every Friday, Saturday, whenever they come out, I watch them, and I, I use the Twitter page, Sports the World, and I tweet about them after I watch them, because they're great games, and so far, the product's always great, and it's, to be honest, very enjoyable to watch some NFL games, you know, sometimes it's better than, like, Monday Night Football. You didn't hear me say that ESPN, but that's something to think about. But, you know, eight teams, four in the East, four in the West. Now the Atlanta team, well, good friend Lauren Ziggler, they're the favorite to win the East. Maybe by default. You got the Omaha Hart, who I like, Lauren Crouch, the quarterback. Really love her. Nashville Knights, sort of in a rebuilding mode. You know, all their talent went to another team out West. But Molly Richardson, the quarterback, she plays great. And Chicago Bliss is in a complete real, complete rebuild mode. You know, there's still talent there, but they're going to get, they'll be back down, you know, competing in no time. And out west, you got the Seattle Knicks, all the talent. KK, KK Medina, possible LFL MVP, Jade Randall. You know, Stevie the Bull Schnorr, Savannah Wood, a lot of talent out there. You got the Los Angeles Temptation, who I say is a sleeper team. It's a sleeper team because I like Ashley Soler. And I like another MVP candidate, Mariah Lopez. Love that team. You know, coaching the direction, the offense got significantly better. I really like them as a sneaky team to compete with Seattle to play them in the conference championship game. And the Denver Dream, we made Green Mama, I like the direction. You know, they cleared out a lot of kerfluffle, if, depending on what side of the story you're on. And I like the Austin Acoustic. You know, they have, you know, Michelle Angel, former LFL MVP. You know, they have talent over there, too. You know, Deshae Wibble, who's the quarterback now, she plays wide receiver. You got Nicole Peterson, center. You got talent. You got talent. I think the West is, when I think of the Western Conference in the LFL, I think of the Western Conference in basketball, where there's a lot of great teams. 
And you know, we always thought Golden State was the cream of the crop of the West. For many years, and there were a lot of great teams also there too, you know, the Clippers. The example, you know, and I could also throw Rockets. And I kind of think of it that way where the West Conference in the NBA, where, you know, there's Golden State, but then you can't sleep on, you can't sleep on the Rockets, you can't sleep on the Clippers. And just like I feel in the West, Seattle can't sleep on the Temptation, they can't sleep on the Acoustic. I, I really do believe that. And like I said, out East, I think it's the Steven Conference to lose. You know, if the Omaha Heart, they found their quarterback. And you know, you know, for those who don't know, or for those who are listening and know, that's awesome. Because you'll know how bad they were at quarterback. They had Jacqueline Good, who's a great linebacker, playing quarterback. And, ugh. But when you put her back in her natural position, you get Lauren Crouch, brother of former Heisman Trophy winner, Erica. They look like a team that, you know, the defense is good, not great. But they can compete, and that's important. And... Like I say, I look at Nashville and I go, you know, if they can figure out a quarter, replacing Cake and Matheny is no joke. And, and they got things to figure out. They're, they're young at a lot of positions. Chicago Bucks just a complete rebuild, and I don't knock them. But they were great for so long. They dominated this league. And now they're in a complete rebuild. So I don't sleep on that whatsoever. But you asked me today, my prediction, I think it's a steam miss final for the cup. But once again, I could easily see a team like the Temptation or the Acoustic give the Seattle Mystic run. And honestly, the only team I could see that can face head up with the steam in that conference is the, Omaha, is the Omaha Heart because they have a quarterback. They have a legit quarterback. And that's one of the things that... And, you know, just like in the NFL, quarterbacks, you got to have a good one. If not, you're going to expose, especially, you know, if the shorter fills 50 yards, get a quarterback to move around, get offensive weapons, speed. You get the right quarterback and a good, not great defense. You can win a championship and you can compete on a high, high level. And when we come back, speaking of high level, we're going to hit some of the high points this week in news of the world. Stick around next on sports and the world. And welcome back into sports and the world. And without further ado, let's jump in into the news of the world. The Democrats named 20 U.S. presidential candidates for their first debate. The debate will be held over two nights in Miami, June 26th and 27th. There will be four candidates that are omitted. There are 24 presidential candidates. Four of them will be omitted. And that's Montana Governor Steve Bullitt, Representative Seth Moulton of Massachusetts, former U.S. Senator Mike Gravel, and Miramar Mayor Wayne Messam. And according to Derek Jared Denshaw, U.S. News World Report, you know, it will be divided up into two nights by the number of votes and donors having at least 65,000 donors to show up and to be on the debate. One key takeaway from this is that 
there can easily be winners and losers in this debate, in these debates, I should say. You know, Mayor Pete, I think it's someone who could potentially emerge and win, come out looking strong. You know, Kamala Harris comes to mind, Amy Klobuchar. You know, but I think the ones who had the most to lose are the ones at the top. That's Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And I think that they have potential to lose because if any of these younger candidates, you know, come up and look strong, because right now we're facing like the tale of two cities, the tale of two Democrats, two two Democrats now, whereas the future collides with the establishment. And I'll be very curious to see about that. And moving on, we talk about the Gulf of Oman tanker attack. And Iran calls U.S. accusation, quote, unfounded. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had blamed Iran for the, quote, unprovoked attacks Thursday. It's the second time in the past few weeks that tankers appear to have attacked in the region. Since then, the oil prices have jumped 4% after the incident. And U.S. and Iran tensions have been high since President Trump tightened U.S. sanctions in Iran earlier this month in May. And quick note here, the question becomes is that can these relations become better and more importantly, how will this affect the market long term in terms of both here, more importantly here in the U.S. with gas prices, as if, if it's risen 4% now and we're in the peak of summer, how high will gas prices go if this situation between U.S. and Iran does not continue to show any resolution. So that'd be something to look out for as well. And in the story that I personally enjoyed, the 9-11 Victim Fund bill passes the House Judiciary Committee. And this comes after a day after John Stewart's fiery testimony. The House Judiciary Committee passed a reauthorization bill for the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund on Wednesday. And that came on the day after Stewart lambasted lawmakers for failing to attend a hearing on the bill. And essentially, more than 40,000 people have applied to the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. And more than 15, excuse me, $5 billion in benefits have been rewarded out of the $7.4 billion fund. With around 20,000 people and 20,000 people and claims. And that's from Andrew O'Reilly from Fox News. And the previous story from the Golden Milan comes from BBC News. And on a personal note, when I saw the speech that John Stewart gave, I don't care what politics, you, you know, whether you agree with John Stewart or not. It was a very important speech that what he talked about. You know, they came up to Capitol Hill many of them sick you know some of them in the greatest sorry from pausing because it's a little emotional to see them be there and essentially half of that committee could not show up and it speaks to priority and I'm sure they if they had other plans, I get it, but not to be there for what these men and women endured and what they did for us 18 years ago 
it's shameful, it's wrong, and what John Stewart's passion, calling it empty chairs, it's downright shameful, and to see them get this done, to see it pass and to see more people, more families get the help that they deserve for the men and women who went and sacrificed. Because on a personal note, I was there in New York the summer of 2001. I was 13. First time saw built big buildings. And I remember seeing the Twin Towers and marveled as a 13-year-old how the structure, how big it was. And how huge it was. I had to put emphasis on it. How huge it was. And. And. That September. Back to elementary. Excuse me. Back to middle school. And it happened in the morning. But we didn't watch any news coverage. Until the last. Period. You know. Last class. And we all just stared saw the black smoke and I just remember being there on the ferry taking a picture on my way to I believe it was Statue of Liberty and I still have a picture of the Statue of Liberty excuse me of the Statue of Liberty and of the picture of those twin I keep that picture that Statue of Liberty picture doesn't mean nothing and I respect the Statue of Liberty I kept that picture I still have to this day and I would like to go back there someday and put that picture on that memorial as a reminder of the tower strength because I'm not from New York but I felt a part of New York that day at 13 and you fast forward now 18 years later I still feel and it's something we shouldn't forget and I'm glad the bill got passed I'm super but what I'm not super glad about is this next story. There were charges dropped against eight people in the Flint water scandal. Prosecutors shockingly dropped all criminal charges Thursday against eight people involved in the scandal. But the prosecutors pledged that the investigation will start from scratch. That comes from CBS News. Look, one of the people were charged with manslaughter. People were dying. And mind you, that there were people dying from disease like Legionnaire's disease. You had the city was for you know put you know putting managers involved, and here we are, four years later, and we're talking about an American city that does not have clean water. What does that say about us? What does that say about? the state of America, I don't, like I said, I don't care what the politics are. If you're Democrat, Republican, this is a, this is an American issue. And what startles me that four years, no one can go in there and get no clean freaking water. Something that many of us take for granted. We bathe in it. We drink it. We, we you know, super soaker. We, we, we take it for granted. But these people in Flint, Michigan, you know, they, it's not right. People are dying. And yet, you know, 
the people involved in this directly responsible got off the hook as a, a get out of jail free card if you will it's sad, it's shameful and it's deplorable and it's a born act of justice and I hope this investigation reopens because hashtag Flint needs water it's ridiculous and you know I'm going to move on to a topic that lighthearted because I realized last week I went super serious and I said I have to throw a lighthearted story in so I did and that with Tom Cruise and Justin Bieber Justin Bieber learned a lesson you know Tom Cruise can kick your tail go watch Top Gun go watch Maverick go watch Risky Hell go watch Risky Business okay it's Ethan Hunt go watch yo he can kick your he's trained in it he can do it and what I thought was funny was and I really did the tail of the tape and I said boy Tom Cruise can take him down in 30 seconds the dude's you know 50 mid 50s does his own, own stunts Justin Bieber doesn't make his own he probably doesn't make his own coffee okay and you're gonna go in the ring which well you know what folks I needed that laugh but when we come back we're gonna go to something that's always great and always fun and that's your top five list that's your top five list uh, I'm stumbling it's emotion slash everything else but your top five list is next on sports and the world and welcome back into the last segment here on sports and the world and where you're listening to us from, whether it's Google, Spotify, here on Anchor, Breaker, and any other podcast or device, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, afternoon, or evening. And today's top five list, let me back to the theme we talked about with Kevin Durant earlier, with athletes playing through injuries. And Kevin Durant, unfortunately, came on the wrong end. And these are five athletes where they played through the pain, you know, to help their team or individual self win. So without further ado, you hear the music. Here is your top five list. And starting in at number five, Zato Chara. And this is recent. You know, in fact, it happened in the this year's Stanley Cup final. The Bruins defenseman and captain, he broke his jaw in game four on Monday when he got hit after deflection of the puck and hitting him directly in the face. And like a champion, he showed up and played game five. Fortunately, they fell short in the series, as I mentioned earlier, with the St. Louis Blues coming out on top. But what I say about Zato Charles that hockey players in general would think of him as by nature but to get hit in the jaw broken jaw at that to come out and play in game five the next game essentially he's tough and it, it caught my attention I'm like listen I give hockey players enough credit you know and I apologize for not talking about hockey enough 
during the Stanley Cup final. I do. I, you know, I love, you know, Tampa Bay Light, I guess because I'm salty because my Lightning lost. I, I don't know. But I, so I thought it was very interesting. And I moved, and I said, that dude is tough, and he showed up for his team. And at number four, Carrie Strug. For a lot of you out there, you know who Carrie Strug is, but for some of the younger viewership, Carrie Strug helped the U.S. The U.S. gymnastics team win gold in 1996 after spraining her ankle. And you're asking, well, what did she do to win? She did, I believe, the vault. And she had to land perfectly, which you have to land on your feet, ergo your ankle. And the Carrie Strug, you can all remember her getting carried off. I think that's the scene where I think it was Bella Caroli carrying off because she was she was hurt. And I always say that when I think of that moment, I think, boy, she was tough. But not only that, she helped win the gold. And really, easily could have went wrong. She could have really, that situation could have been like Kevin Durant. You know, she could have easily messed up her, from her, her ankle. She could have broke it. But more importantly, she could have, you know, broke her foot. And it's absolutely commendable and remarkable in that moment. I think you as U.S. gymnastic fans, they remember it. And at number three, Michael Jordan. You know, why is MJ three? Because I rank it on severity and I rank of outcome. And Michael Jordan came on third. We know the flu game. He scored 38 points in game five of the 1997 NBA Finals. Look, I made this comparison on Instagram and on Facebook in various posts. And I was told, oh, well, it's not the same. I never said it was the same. What I said was the level of competitiveness was the same. To go out there knowing you have no business being out there. You know, I'm pretty sure team doctors told MJ not to be out there. And I'm pretty sure, you know, Bulls management was like, man, I hope it plays. Just like with Golden State. Like, oh, God, I hope it plays. Because you know your best chance to win that person and they knew Michael Jordan put up 38 points sick Gatorade fluid the works but he showed up and he played absolutely lights out and by the way spoiler alert they won the NBA title and number two Kurt Schilling listen you know when I think of Kurt Schilling he's a very good postseason he really is. Doesn't get enough credit for that. You know, could be one of the reasons why I'd say he's a Hall of Famer because of the postseason. But that's for another day. Let me tell you what Kurt Schilling, he won game six of the 04 ALCS on a bloody ankle. You remember with the bloody sock? You remember how infamous it is? Let me tell you how it got there. He had crude surgery before the game where a tendon in his ankle was sutured on his ankle tissue. In essence, his his foot, his ankle, no good. But he went out there, Red Sox won 4-2 to over the Yankees. He went seven innings, four hits, one earned, four strikeouts. One thing, baseball reference for the stats on that. I remember watching that and I said, is, is his ankle okay? He played tough. 
and he went out there and that team listen what I, I, I stand by what I always say about Kurt Schilling is, is that you know look his win-loss record okay but just like how I feel about John Smoltz you know, John Smoltz was a great postseason pick. It's the same way I feel about Madison Bumgarner. When I think of Mad Bum, I don't focus on regular season. I think of postseason Mad Bum when he won. You know, he pitched three games in that series. He went on three days rest and won Central Giants a World Series. I could argue he won two of those three World Series. He was lights out. And... Kurt Schilling's the type of dude that imagine if he didn't play that game. Imagine if Bronson Arroyo, who pitched in this, who pitched in this game, was the spot starter, I assume. Because Bronson Arroyo was in the bullpen, I believe. So obviously he was. Imagine he starts. Will we have this near because listen, when it's your ankle, your foot, I don't care what sport it is, but you have no business on it. But he went there and pitched seven. He had a quality start. Like I say, seven innings, four hits, one earned, four strikeouts. And that's in the playoffs. Bloody sock. Just before the game, had crude surgery. He had surgery before the game. On that tendon. On his ankle tissue. But you want to talk about tough? You want to talk about competition? Here is my number one athlete. Playing through injury, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, we know this year, great story, winning the Masters. But let me tell you what he did in 2008. He won the U.S. Open on a broken leg and a torn ACL. If that wasn't enough, he fought through 91 holes. Mind you, four rounds, that's 72. So, he played 19 more holes after defeating Rocco Mediate. He played 91 holes of golf on a torn ACL and a broken leg. That, to me, was the closest thing to Kevin Durant. You know, calf injury... It was, it was torn and it was broken. He went out there and won a championship. And it's golf as individual. Golf, you stand. You're not teeing off in the golf cart. They can carry you up the hill. You know, they can take you various places. But you're in that tee box. You're in the fairway. You're in the rough. You're on the green. You have to stand. Measure your shot. Putting pressure on your broken leg. In your torn ACL, and he went there and won a championship. I don't. That's tough. And let me tell you, that it speaks to the the level that we don't give golfers enough credit for being tough. Because he listen, every reason, listen, the older Tiger got, obviously injuries. You know, cost him tournaments. It cost him, you know, a great deal. But that Tiger with the no weight, no problem. And I want to throw out an honorable mention to Byron Leftwich. Let me tell you what Byron Leftwich. Remember that game? He broke his leg. He broke his leg against Akron when he was at Marshall back in 02. I saw the game. And 
leading that team to come back with 17 points down to beat Akron. I remember the offense was literally carrying the line. Had no business planting his foot. I don't know if it was he planted his, if it would have been his right foot since he's a right, his planting foot. He had no business being out there, but he did on a broken leg. He had no business. And just like Tiger Woods, look, competitiveness. And also, just like Tiger Woods, he's the father. It's Father's Day coming up this Sunday. Shout out to all the fathers out there and the mothers being the fathers, all the father figures, all of those mentioned above and so much more. Your stat of the day comes from Gretchen Livingston and Kim Parker of the Pew Research Center. And according to them, fathers who live with their children are taking a more active role in caring for them and helping around the house. So, quick three facts. More dads are staying home to care for their kids. That's up from 4% in 1989 to 7% in 2016. Aims up with the age gap, millennials, 6% were at home with kids and 3% of the Generation X. Dads were at home with their kids when they were the same age. So, it's becoming more important that I'm not here to to praise that and not, you know, mothers. I could easily take one for Mother's Day. But, you know, I found this to be very interesting because of the knock on fathers. Because there's some good fathers, just like there's some, you know, bad fathers, just like there's some good fathers, and there's some great mothers. But, so, it's a matter of perspective. And also, most Americans think that the man faces a lot more financial pressure for their family. And it's 7% of men only to 40% of women. I think that's very true. Because growing up, always seemed to me that the man should be the, you know, struggling to find it. And listen, women now can run the household, be the breadwinner as well. But growing up, men were thought of to be the ones to take care of their families. And I think that still rings true to some people to this very day. And lastly, dads are much more involved in childcare than they were 50 years ago. Fathers are spending an average of eight hours a week on childcare, which is about three times more than the amount that they provided in 1961. So this study was a three-year study, and it was more of an empirical study. And that's what, it, and I think that was one of the more important. Listen, you know, go to the Pew Research Center. Great study, great research on you know fathers, on you know Father's Day. What's also not so great is that we are out of time. On this week's episode of Sports in the World, I want to thank all those who worked hard, you know, providing this, you know, information, gave me great information. You know, the sources from USA Today, Bleacher Report, the aforementioned Pew Research Center, Yahoo. So much better I thank them and the men and women who worked on that. And I thank you for taking time to listen. And until next time, until you and I meet again, until we take that journey of sports and the world.